0: A dream, a dream of what I wanna be. I wanna be free. That's why my heart keeps telling me. Give me your hand. We'll find a way. Just people will on. they feel the same. If we help each other, I just know we can. Oh Only no, can succeed. We are one, but we are different. We from all.
1: love that song that song says that we are one we share the same sun we share the same oceans Mm, just think about that no matter what color you are no matter what your gender is no matter what class the societies want to put you in we share the same sun we share the same oceans We are one. And the song goes on to touch on the fact that we all have a dream. We all have a purpose. And and if we work together, we can succeed. In 1 Corinthians 12 and 13, it reads, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we are all made to drink of one spirit. In other words, we are individuals who are also one. This past Wednesday, our Bible study was about communication and it was so powerful that I was getting feedback on it all through Thursday. And and God wanted me to stay in that vein of sharing with his people the power of communication. So here we are this beautiful Sunday morning. And I say to you, let's communicate about communication. Let us praise as we prepare our hearts for the word of God. Let us pray. Father God, in the name of your son, Jesus. hmm, We come to you in a spirit of oneness, united and standing on your word we ask that you open up our hearts to receive your word and and that you shift our hearts to embrace the Holy Spirit as we receive your word that we be consumed with your guidance and your wisdom that we embrace the oneness that you created us in amen amen and amen The ability that we have to communicate with one another is one of the characteristics that separate humans from animals. See, we have language and lingos and cliche and written word and we even have now advanced our communication skills to encompass various forms of technology. We have television and radio and internet and phones and digital billboards, books in print and digital. But with all of these means of communication, we as a people have never been so disconnected as we are today. And because of our inability to effectively communicate with one another, we have become prisoners on our own individual islands of our own creation, which is rooted in selfishness and self-centeredness. We see it exalted every day and it exudes in every class of people, whether you're poor, middle class or wealthy, it is there. The selfishness, the self-centeredness. We have no desire to hear, to sincerely hear one another. Everyone wants to get their point across, exalt their agenda without any consideration for another's point, another's agenda, another's hopes and dreams. Because no one's hopes and dreams seems to be more important than ours. Not only is that there, this a stance that keeps us locked in selfishness and self-centeredness, in the eyes of God, he says that it's foolishness. In Proverbs 18 and 2, it says, A fool, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expression, his own opinion. Communication by definition is the exchanging of ideas and information. Hmm. We exchange a whole lot of information but we're not exchanging and considering and embracing the ideas of others now don't get me wrong every idea of others is not to be embraced but at the same time you are charged charged by the word of God to listen And then if you have prayed and and you're in touch with God, you have discernment as to how to respond to what is being shared appropriately, not arrogantly. Oftentimes, arguments happen because of bad communication. We misjudge others and their intentions simply because we don't communicate well. I have to confess myself because even with this mantle of ministry on me, I am not perfect. Please understand that. I had, well, wh- wh- I want to call this, um, I'll call it a heated time of fellowship with my godbrother, the great bishop, <laughs> a little more than a week ago. And I mean, we were going back and forth and anger and everything was flying. And the root cause of it wasn't that we weren't communicating and sharing ideas, but it was bad communication because we weren't actually listening and understanding and taking into account the other one's full perspective of what they were trying to convey. But thank God both of us are saved and and we were able to come to terms with it and, and recognize it for what it is. And that's where we sometimes go faulty because bad communication will start arguments and arguments will lead into a whole bunch of anger and dissension and division that lasts years, years, People are not talking to people because of arguments they had 10, 15, and 20 years ago. But I thank God that because I stand on the word of God in righteousness with my imperfect self, when I find myself in an argument, I hear the voice of God say, pull it in. Listen to your brother. Correct your wrong. Apologize. Consider what's on his heart. Consider his ideas. Consider his perspective before you utter another word. So Lord, I thank you. If you turn to the book of Joshua, chapter 22, you'll see that the the tribes of Reuben and Gad and Massenea, with Joshua's blessing, were told that it would be okay to go back to their settlements across the jordan now that the israelites had come into their inheritance but before doing so the three tribes built an altar the other israelites got really upset about this because god had specifically commanded that when they reached the promised land they should no longer build altars just anywhere but only in the place where God directed them to. And so they went to confront their brothers, ready to make war against them if necessary. And I understand, let's pause for a minute, because you gotta understand that sometimes we're right in our righteousness, and and we're right in standing up for the things of God. But it's how you go about it, how you deal with even your confrontations when you're standing on the righteousness of God, it matters. The three tribes reassured the rest of the Israelites that they were not intending to use the altar for sacrifices rather that it was a sign to them and their descendants that they all belong to the same God. And so a war was averted. I think there are a couple of things that we can learn from this. First and foremost, communication is vital in order to avoid misunderstanding. It would have been so much better if when the three tribes were leaving that they had asked the elders of Israel to come with them and to build the altars in front of them while explaining why they were doing so. Instead, they built the altar with no explanation, leaving the rest of the Israelites to assume the very worst. Bad communication comes When one or both parties assume the intentions of another, when they don't take the time to listen, when they give no benefit of doubt, they don't think, well, maybe let's give them benefit of doubt and let's see what's on their mind. They went in ready to attack. These are the things bad communication is when one or both parties engage in conversation with a mindset already determined without any real desire to understand, see, or embrace the other's point of view. In James 1.19, the scripture reads, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. As we go back to the book of Joshua, when the three tribes built the altar, the other 10 tribes leaped to the wrong conclusion. and got very upset as a result. But one thing they did do right was they confronted their brothers about it directly. And because they did that, the miscommunication was resolved quickly. How often do we avoid confrontation? And we just sit and stew in our anger. Because we don't want to unfold confrontation. We don't wanna deal with confrontation. But when we avoid confrontation, it solves nothing. Even if we've been hurt, or even if we feel someone has wronged us, even if someone is exalting behavior that is contrary to the will of God, especially in your home, we should not avoid confrontation. Ignoring the problem at hand just leaves bad relationships to fester and allows situations to get out of control. That's not what God would have us to do. If we travel back to the Garden of Eden, as Eve stood engaging in conversations with Satan, Adam, the head of the household of Eden, said nothing. We don't know if he was afraid that if he butted into Eve's conversation, she would be offended and not be the loving wife that he has come to know. We don't know if he was so enthralled with the ungodly perspective that Satan was presenting that he chose not to speak against it. But just imagine if Adam would have stood on the word of God and confronted Satan right there in the Garden of Eden with what he knew God spoke directly to him concerning the tree. There are some of us today that need to confront some things that are going on in our house right now that fall contrary to the word of God, but we are upholding our peace because we don't wanna engage in a confrontation. We have declared that we're just going to pray about it. I want to tell you, we are supposed to pray for strength, direction, and discernment. God answers prayers by using us as his willing vessels. So when having to confront someone, ask God for the strength, the direction, and the discernment regarding confronting this person. But you don't put off confronting what is wrong what is not in alignment, what you don't understand, what you need clarity on. God is not going to do the work for you. Think about this. What does it benefit your body if your neighbor, your spouse who loves you so dearly, your best friend who has been there with you through thick and thin, declares that they are going to work out for you in your name? What good is it to your body? Nothing. We need to learn how to confront people in situations according to the mandate of God. And when we do that, we will also find ourselves having to confront people in situations even less. Why? Because the wisdom and the discernment that we will have built up will spearhead us to lay different foundations and boundaries so that confrontations is needed less and less let me clarify the definition of confrontation because i think many of us may avoid confrontation because we have linked it to negatively approaching someone or just being ugly and addressing a situation and that is not what confrontation is about But because our communication skills are so undeveloped as people, that is the connotation that has been accepted. The godly definition of confrontation is simply a face-to-face conversation, addressing opposing ideas and actions with the goal of reconciliation. the formation of oneness. Confrontation is godly when it's done according to the mandate of God. Which is why in Matthew 18 and 15 it says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Notice the scripture advises that you confront one another alone. We have seen too many confrontations that go south because it's done in a crowd, which adds a whole unnecessary level of heat and instigation to a situation. But if it had only been between two, it could have been resolved and would have likely exalted unity instead of division. We must also acknowledge the spirit in which we approach confrontation. It should not be from a spirit of self centeredness, from a spirit of selfishness, from a spirit of I'm right and you're wrong, but from a spirit of love, a desire to come together in unity. Let's be real. Our nation is now in so much turmoil, operating with a spirit of division amongst our leaders that are charged to serve, protect, and operate in the best interest of the citizens of these United States. Why? because our leaders are more committed to their own agendas, their own ideas, their own precepts and perspectives than they are to godly unity. And because everything hinges on leadership and communication, we have citizens who are more committed to political parties than to godly unity which falls contrary to the word, the will, and the ways of God. And just a political sidebar for you. I encourage every believer when backing political parties and agendas to be more committed to the righteousness of God than the imperfections of people. And note that there will always be imperfections on both sides. And I urge you to keep in mind these two scriptures. Ephesians 4 and 29, it says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up, as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace. Woo! that it may give grace to those who hear. And Philippians 2 and 2 says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. We are obligated by our faith in God to make sure our joy, our passions, our desires what we support completes the joy of the Lord I wanted to get the art of confrontation out of the way because in many ways it is a major deterrent to what our communication has become and why our communication is so hindered Communication is so essential to our humanity, so essential to our relationships. Communication is to relationships what blood is to the body. And when communication stops flowing, relationships die. We're gonna talk about several different aspects of communication. The first one that I wanna talk about is how we have established a cliche as a form of communication. We talk in pretense with our emotional mask on. You know what I mean. When someone asks how you're doing, your response is, "Oh, blessed and highly favored. Yet the truth is, you and your spouse haven't spoken in days. You have two children in jail and you just found out that the IRS is about to audit you. Some of us are quick to say, well, I'm just declaring that I'm blessed despite what it looks like. But that should be your response. Because your spouse Response is rooted in your truth and it could open up a means of communication with another that uplifts their soul or that may open up an opportunity for God to use them to pour into your life or use you to pour into their life. A more accurate account of your response could be with a smile. I have a lot going on that I don't even want to talk about but I declare I'm blessed despite what it looks like because I know God got my back. Now how much better of a response is that? Just imagine the possible impact those few words may have on an unbeliever or even a believer whose faith is wavering. Our greetings matter. It is a form of communication. In Luke 1, through 41, it reads, And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. The Scripture goes on to say that Mary's response was, behold. I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. The scripture goes on to tell us, after her declaration, Mary rose and went into the hill country to Judea. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby in her womb leaped, good God Almighty. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Pay attention to the scripture. Mary was told by an angel that she was going to give birth in a non-traditional manner. She immediately submitted to the position Of use all of who I am, God. Use all that I'm about to go through, God, for your glory, for I am a servant of you, O Lord. That was the position that Mary took. And that mindset shifted her greeting in the presence of others so much so that when she entered, The house, the baby in the womb of Elizabeth leaped. And don't discount what the scripture said, that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And it was all initiated by Mary's greeting. When you are a servant of God, not even your greeting can be all about you. In your greeting is the ability to heal. In your greeting is the ability to deliver. In your greeting, good God Almighty, mm, is the ability to transform. Whew, and I get not wanting to disclose all of your business when asked how you are doing. Because we have to operate in a spirit of discernment. And as we become a people, we have to protect who we are in the righteousness of God. Because the world has become a people of gossipers and slanders. So no, it's not wise to give details all the time of exactly what you're going through to everyone you greet. Communication also deals with those of us whose primary engagement with another is all about gossiping. Some people search for dirt concerning the lives of other people, like it's gold. You have some that spread more filth over the phone than you'll find in your vacuum cleaners. Communication is an exercise of the mind, but gossiping is merely an exercise of the tongue that leaves cancer on the soul. Now, I know a lot of Christians, you know, I know y'all don't gossip, what y'all do is share and in sharing I want to share a story with you in a certain town gossipers reported that a local minister had gone to a place where his wife was attending a meeting against his will they reported that the minister dragged his wife from the place and forced her to go home. Upon learning of the gossip racing throughout the town amongst the Christians, the minister decided to put an ad in the local newspaper to diffuse the gossip and to shut down the talk. And the ad that he put in the paper reads like this. In the first place, I would have never attempted to influence my wife in her views or her choice in attending a meeting. In the second place, my wife did not attend the meeting in question. In the third place, I did not attend the meeting in question. In the fourth place, neither my wife or I had any inclination to go to such meeting. And finally, I do not now have I ever had a wife. Hmm. Proverbs twenty nineteen tells us whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, therefore do not associate with a simple babbler. Some of us need to reevaluate our relationships, our friendships, and pay attention to the dominant subject of our conversations. If someone's primary conversation that you're consistently having with them is based on gossip, then they are simple babblers. And you have been pulled in and have adopted the same title. The worst thing about gossip is it deters real conversation. It annihilates the opportunity for real communication. It kills and it wastes time that could and should be used to share ideas, to build one another up. And as as our opening song talked about, exalt a spirit of unity and oneness. Now we cannot talk about the power of communication without touching on its importance in holy matrimony. Unfortunately, the foundation of love relationships today is laid in concrete with an ingredients rooted in flesh and materialism in and outside of the church. Why do you say that, Pastor? Because we have some people that have taken the vow of celibacy and they're more concerned with getting married to release their flesh than they are about who they are married. The appeal of the flesh, the satisfying of the flesh, and the fixation concerning material things have become the center of what God has proclaimed as holy. And the issue of communication only comes up when the relationship begins to go south. People are getting married without being friends first. And I'm not talking about friends with benefits. See, it's real easy to fall in love with someone when they make your flesh feel oh so good. But do you have a conversation? Can that same person stimulate your mind in communication? Can that same person communicate to you and and bring out ideas that align with your purpose and that coincide, coincide with godly principles and standards? that causes you to be a better you in the sight of God. Some are more concerned with if the other person and them are sexually compatible than if their souls and ideas and faith are intertwined. And again, I tell you, I'm not perfect because I too have been guilty of this, claiming to be a child of God, googled-eyed about a man who also claimed to be a child of God, while both of us willingly shun 1 Corinthians six eighteen through 19, which tells us to flee from sexual immorality. And he goes on to tell us every other sin a person commits is outside of the body, but that sexual immoral person sins against his own body. The scripture reminds us, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Within you, God dwells, and that you are not your own. I know many of you think this is my body. I get to do with it what I want. That body don't belong to you. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. You don't get to make decisions about your body based on you because it doesn't belong to you. But then we are amazed When the issues of infidelity and adultery become real issues in our marriage. But never consider that the marriage was founded on the principles of ungodly sex. And if it was founded and built on the principles of ungodly, ungodliness, that ungodliness is going to rise up and be intertwined in everything in that relationship. God's intent is not to withhold what is good from us. And trust me, God knows better than any of us how good sex really is. He created it. The intricate parts of your genitalia He placed the nerves and ignited those sensitivities right there. Sex is just like electricity. It's good. But at the same time, if it's used improperly, it can be destructive. God's plans... For us to abstain from sex until marriage is an incredible plan despite what your flesh is telling you. Think about it. What God's plan entails is that we exalt communication. That we become communically bound before marriage. That our communication allows us to build something solid, unshakable, that can weather the storms. And then, once that is built, we validate that deed on what we have built with marriage. And then we go in and decorate it with the gift of sex. Sex is and housewarming gift from God. Sex and romance is so important to God that he dedicated an entire book in the Bible to it. Check it out. Read the Song of Solomon. Communication when building a relationship must encompass everything. Every aspect of life. You need to communicate before you get into a marital situation. Before you get into any kind of relation. Before you give your body as a man or a woman to somebody else. You need to communicate with them. Communicate with them about their religion. Their thoughts regarding Even politics, moral standards, their opinions about raising children, what shows and movies they like and why. That will give you the depth of their mindsets. You need to communicate about financial goals, financial obligations, their current financial management techniques. There should be nothing off the table. When you enter into some conversations and realize the person's real perspective and their real character. It's amazing how that person becomes no longer even sexy. The problem is we have a pattern of finding all of these things out after marriage or after we become so involved in a relationship with the person, all because we choose to exalt our feelings over the essentials of communication. In my teens, I remember a show that used to come on, it was the newlywed game. And I remember watching it years later in syndication after I had a failed marriage. And And I was thinking, why do they have a game show that questions people's compatibility after their marriage. Why would this game show not question or help people question their compatibility in the dating process? And the reason is clear because we tend to want to pursue our relationships and marriage from a fairy tale perspective. And real communication has a tendency to bring out the real in a person, which can ultimately ruin the fantasy. So we minimize communication and maximize fantasies, while dysfunction and divorce rates remain high. Hmm, just something to think about. I also want to address the conversations and communications we have with our children and the unsaved. As children of God, again, our communication should be aligned with and give glory to God first. If we focus on the harvest of our communication, everything that we communicate or convey, Will flourish in every aspect of our lives. Psalms 141 and 3 tells us to set a guard over our mouth and it asks God to watch over the door of our lips. With that scripture in mind, we have to be more intentional regarding our communication. In order to be effective, in order to be heard, in order to be understood. And what you don't want to lead a conversation off with children is when I was your age. And what you don't want to lead a conversation off when talking to the unsaved is when I was out there in the world. The reason you don't want to start conversation with these words is because these words close ears. Because every generation of children and believers believe that adults and those who are already saved know nothing about what they are going through or how to relate to it today. The best line of communication is to listen even though you think you know what they're going to say, even though you think you know what they're going through, even though you think you've heard all of their excuses, listen, listen with the heart that wants to understand, that desires that you help them come to a resolution. Remember Proverbs 18 and 2 says a fool takes no pleasure in understanding. Don't be a fool. Seek to understand. And let your response to what they are expressing be with the word of God. And maybe an example of an ex- similar experience that you have encountered while always acknowledging that the times are different. And in some way, yes, what our children are going through, we never ever had to endure. They are faced with things that we never had to face growing up. But you need to make them understand that the principles and the handling of these issues are not going to change how we deal with these issues, don't change because the Word of God is unchanging. As believers, we have to learn how to communicate and engage in conversational evangelism because more souls are ushered into the kingdom of heaven through conversations than we'll ever know. If we look at how Jesus' method of teaching, was. It wasn't from a podium in a church. It was on mountainsides amongst the people in conversations. Jesus spoke in parables to make the word of God relatable to the times because his desire was to communicate in a way that prompted understanding. And how we know it was in conversations is because in the midst of Jesus' teaching, those that were present were able to ask questions. In Luke 8 and 9, his disciples begin to question him as to what this parable meant, or what that parable meant. We need to learn how to have conversation. In a manner that communicates the word of God. Stay tuned. I'm going to be doing a whole class. Separate from Bible study. Separate from Sunday morning worship. On conversational evangelism. In closing, I want to touch on your communication with God. Next week, we will go in-depth concerning the difference between praise and worship, which is two forms of communicating with God. Many of you, under the sound of my voice, right here today, are looking to hear from God. You have been talking to Him, and you don't think you're hearing Him. God communicates with us in many ways if we would just stop being consumed with our own agenda. Stop being fixated on how God should communicate to us. Most of the answers that we are looking for from God, He has already provided in His creation. And like we said earlier, the principles of dealing with certain issues will not change because the principles of God do not change the answers that God wants us to grasp onto or right before our face has always been there and will not change his principles will remain permanent we want God to tell us what to do how to come up out of a situation look at a flower a flower which was once seed in dirt some of you feel like you have been in dirt for a while learn from the flower that seed of that flower draws from that dirt nutrients, the nutrients that it needs to grow. And as it grows, it keeps reaching to the heavens from where it knows its strength comes from. And before long, that flower begins to bloom and blossom outside of the dirt that it was once buried in. Don't miss the message. While in the dirt, it pulled from all the dirtiness around it, nutrients, knowledge, wisdom, everything that it needed to strengthen it. And as it strengthened, it began to reach from the heavens As it continued to grow, it bloomed and blossomed outside of the dirt it was once buried in. The very process of farming, which occurs year after year, and involves the engagement of man and land, season after season, should speak to us, should show us how God communicates and teaches us. The process of farming requires the planting of seeds. If you want cucumbers, you have to plant cucumbers. If you want collard greens, you have to plant collard greens. Whatever you plant, when harvest time comes, that is what you will reap. Galatians 6 and 7 says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. If you start planting cucumbers and you reap collard greens, then God is mocked. God is a liar. God will not be mocked. Whatever you plant, you will reap. So don't get excited at harvest time if you haven't planted anything. And don't get upset at harvest time if all you have planted was seeds of greed seeds of anger, unforgiveness, and division. And then when harvest time comes, you're losing money. When harvest time comes, the tables have turned and people are now slandering your name. When harvest time comes, struggle seems to become more real. When harvest time comes, your children are being pulled to and fro. Be careful what you plant. God is consistent in his word. And in the systems upon which he devised creation. He's consistent. I know some ministers boast of a a year of the harvest. Although it's a good offering generator, I'll give you that. It's not biblical. And it's inconsistent with the word of God inconsistent with the wills and the ways of God. Think about it. If we spent an entire year reaping the harvest, then there would have been no time spent planting or fertilizing. And if that be the case, we're setting ourselves up for failure. Because the following year, we are guaranteed to experience a self-inflicted famine because nothing was sown. It was only reaped. Don't allow yourself to get caught up in what presents itself as a shortcut or an easy way out. It's in the processes that God communicates with us. If you skip the process, you skip the opportunities to commune with God. In Luke 10 and 2, it reads, the harvest is plentiful. God's concern is the laborers. It says the laborers are few. The people that are willing to go through the process are few. The ones that are willing to do the work are few. Everybody's looking for a shortcut. Everybody wants to reap a harvest without planting a seed, without fertilizing, without waiting for the seed to to blossom and bloom above the dirt. God used a burning bush to initiate communication with Moses. Moses was so consumed with his everyday life, God knew to get his attention, he would have to distract him. And we tend to look at every distraction as a setback, not of God. So we ignore the messages In the distractions. We are so tied to our agendas that any distraction, any disruption, any derailment, we want to shut down without even taking the time to evaluate the situation with godly discernment. In Exodus 3, scriptures tells us, Moses saw that though the bush was on fire and it was not being burnt up, he thought, well, let me go over here and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up? Scripture says, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, from within the bush, from within the bush. Y'all going to get it after a while. Moses, Moses. Hmm. From within the bush, from within the bush, the distraction, God called Moses. And Moses said, here I am. And the story goes on to tell us how God gave Moses a new directive and charged him to go to Pharaoh to free the Egyptians. The message of the story is one we ought never to forget. When you are looking for God, to communicate with you. Do not overlook what's right there in the midst of your well-planned agenda, because God will disrupt our plans. God will set some things on fire, all to get our attention and to give us brand new, directives i encourage everyone under the sound of my voice to embrace the value of communication to work on perfecting this incredible jewel that separates us from all other living things fine-tune your everyday communication your greeting your conversation in your relationships with your spouse, with your co-workers, with your neighbors, with your children. And also, as children of the Most High God, tap into and study the Word of God so that you can effectively engage in conversations that minister to the hearts and souls of others, conversations that lead people to Christ. And last but not least, work on your conversations with God. As you pray and give him praise, look for his means of communicating with you. And then pause and hear the voice of God. Let us pray. Father God, in the name of your son, Jesus. We give you honor, oh God. We give you praise. We thank you for your gift of communication. We ask that you forgive us for taking this gift for granted. As we ask that you guide, steer, and direct us how to communicate better with others and even how to communicate better with you. Lord God, we declare and decree that we will no longer ignore your voice. As we walk, we believe your word that says all things work together for good of them that love the Lord. So we look for you in our distractions. We look for you in our disruptions. We set aside our own agendas and we bow to your will and your way and your word. Thank you, O God, for loving us enough to give us the gift of communication. To receive salvation or have someone partner with you in prayer or to give to this ministry, we ask that you visit our newly renovated website at www.bibledeliverance.org. And I certainly hope this closing song ministers to your heart and soul as it did mine.
0: Grandma used to pray out loud By your bed every night To me it sounded like mumbling Like she was out of her mind She said, boy, this kind of praying Is what saved my life You ought to try it some Now I know she was right. She was talking to Jesus. She was talking to Jesus. And she'd been talking to Jesus for all of her life. Mama used to drag me to church Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights khaki pants and a polo shirt, boy I put up a fight, she said son one day you'll thank me for having God in your life, and yeah I know she was right, yeah my mama was right, cause now I'm talking to Jesus, she got me talking to Jesus, She got me talking to Jesus. Yeah, my mama was right. Cause now I'm talking to Jesus. Yeah, I love talking to Jesus. And I'll be talking to Jesus for the rest of my life. What a friend we have in Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus, don't you know? What a friend we have in Jesus. Oh, what a friend we have. What a friend we have in Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus. Oh I've got three of my own now. I'm trying to raise them upright. My oldest is 15. And I remember what that was like. I'm trying to deal with the trauma Trying to figure out the questions in life. And I've been looking for a way to show him how to make it all right. Then he walked in my room while I was saying my prayers the other night. He said, I'll come back later. I can tell you got a lot on your mind. I said, it's not an interruption. You couldn't have picked a better time. I was just talking to Jesus. Come over and give it a try. We started talking to Jesus. We started talking to Jesus. We started talking. Cause it's not a religion, no. cause it's more like a friendship. So just talk to your father like you are his kid. Just start talking to Jesus. Just start talking to Jesus. As you can talk to Jesus. Oh, whenever you like just start talking to Jesus. Just start talking to Jesus. Just keep talking to Jesus for the rest of your life.